Guys, you may be seated. Uh, if you'd like to follow along this morning, we're going to start in the book of Exodus. Uh, one of my favorite chapters and passages in all of Scripture is Exodus chapter 33. It's a story of a wrestling match in some ways between Moses and God. Uh, last week we talked about the fact that, that prayer is this wrestling match that we have sometimes with God. Sometimes prayer is just sweet and it's, it's glorious and it's just this this moment where we're in the presence of God and everything seems to be calm and everything seems to be right. There are other moments in prayer that it is a struggle and it is a wrestling match. We talked about Jacob wrestling with God in his prayer and, and it forever left him chains. And the Bible says that he walked with a limp for the rest of his life, a reminder of that encounter with God. This was one of those encounters we're going to look at today that was an encounter that Moses had with God um, to kind of set the stage for where we're going to be reading um, you remember the story that, that God sent Moses to deliver the people from Egypt. He went back and forth with Pharaoh. They had the ten plagues. And finally, Pharaoh says, take and get out of here. Uh, the firstborn had died in all of Egypt. Um, and, and God had set his people free. And they took off. And then uh, they're, they're not hardly into their journey any time at all. Moses goes up on the mountain where God's going to give him the ten commandments. And when Moses comes back down off the mountain, remember what he saw? Remember what the people had done in just those 40 days that Moses was gone? The golden calf. And, and, and Moses looks at Aaron and says, what in the world is this? Well, we just put some gold in the fire and this is what came out. <laughs> and Moses is upset with the people. And even more upset is, is God with his people. He has just delivered them from bondage and from slavery their, their, their first response, and it's not their last response, they see it again and again and again, is let's just go back to Egypt. At least there we were slaves, but at least we knew it was comfortable, it was predictable, it, it, it's, it's, it's all we've known. Their, their, their people were in slavery for over 400 years. So generations in slavery, and these guys have been delivered, and, and instead of thanking God and worshiping God and making Him their only true God, they turn back to idols that would have been familiar in Egypt. And they make the golden calf. And God, being a God of his word, a God of great promise, says, I've promised you this land. We call it the promised land. You know why we call it the promised land? Because it was a land that God promised to his people. And, and God says to Moses, I'm going to drive out all those inhabitants that are there, and I'm going to give you that land. But God says this. He says, I'm going to give you what I promised you because I don't break my promises. But I'm, I'm not going to go with you. Look with me in Exodus. And we're going to see how this, this story unfolds. And, and um, I, I want you to see, before we dive into the, the meat of this, I want you to see in verses 7 and following how Moses used to encounter God in prayer. They've had this big episode. God is saying, I'm, I'm not going to go with you. And Moses goes to meet with God. In the midst of a crisis, in the midst of what Moses sees as a life-altering moment, Moses goes to meet with God. And in Exodus 33, it starts in verse 7. It says, now Moses used to take a tent 
and pitch it outside the camp some distance. So this, this is a, a group of people that are moving through this desert. They were moving different places, and every time they would settle down for a little while, Moses would take a tent. It was called the tent of meeting, and he would set it up outside the camp, outside of where everybody else was, out, outside of all the chaos. He would set up this tent where they would go and they would meet with God. And so it says he would pitch a tent outside the camp some distance. And he, he called it the tent of meeting. And anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Notice the emphasis on it being outside the camp. Listen, I, I just got to say this to you. If, if you're going to have encounters with God, if you're going to have moments where, where God shows up and God meets with you and God speaks with you, it's going to need, be, need to be outside the routine. It's going to be outside the chaos. It's going to need to be you getting alone with God. It's, it's hard to have an encounter with God when everything else is competing for your attention. It's hard to have those moments where God can really speak to you if you're going to just do the same thing every single day. If you're going to, to just go through the motions and be in the midst of the crowd, you, you have to get comfortable being alone with God. And so they pitched this tent outside the, the camp. And it says, And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. These guys knew when Moses went to the tent, it was to encounter God. There's an interesting distinction that's made here. The people could go and inquire of God. Moses went to encounter God. Let me ask you which of those summarizes your prayer life. There is a huge difference between inquiring of God and encountering God. The people would go and inquire of God. God, here's, here's what I want to do. What do you think? Here's what I would like. Would you say rubber stamp? Good. God, here's my list. I, I want to inquire of you if you would do these things for me. But Moses went to encounter God. So when Moses took off to the tent, these people knew he was about to have an encounter with God, just like he'd had on the mountain. Remember the story of, of Moses up on the mountaintops, and he would go, and when he would return, his face would shine to the point that people would say, Moses, put a veil over your face, for the glory of God is just all over you, and we, we, can't, we can't handle that. And Moses would put this veil over his face after he encountered God. Well, here, when they pitch this tent, they get to a new location, Moses would have them set up the tent. And when Moses would take off to go to that tent to meet with God, all the people would stand outside their tents and watch as Moses would enter the tent. It says, as Moses went into the tent, a pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to their tent, to the tent, then they would, they stood and worshiped each at the entrance to his tent. Then the Lord, this is my favorite verse, maybe in all of scripture. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. You ever had an encounter with God like that? where you, you meet with God and the glory of God shows up and that encounter is like one friend just talking to another. Now, now we know this is not literally face-to-face -face because a little bit later on in this same chapter, Moses is going to say, Lord, show me your glory and God's going to hide him in the cleft of the rock and say, Moses, I'll let you, I, 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 I'll walk past you and as I do, I'm going to hide you and shield you and I'll let you see my backside because you can't see my face and live. 
So we know this is not a literal epiphany where he's seeing God's face, but, but God is talking to him like one friend would talk to another, just face-to-face conversation. Most of our prayer is one way, right? God, here's what I need. God, here's what I want. God, here's the trouble I'm in. Here's the, the situation I'm facing. God, here's the thing I'm worried about. God, here's the... And, and, and most of our prayer is one way. It wasn't that way with Moses. It was a two-way conversation, face-to-face, as one friend would talk to another. And the Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as a man speaks with his friend. And look at this. Then Moses would return to the camp. Couldn't stay there forever. He had to leave. He would return to the camp. But look at that next phrase. But his young aide... Joshua. Remember that guy? He never left the tent. What prepared Joshua to lead the people into the promised land? Remember, Moses didn't get to do that. Joshua hung out in the presence of God. He he, he got to be there as Moses is talking to God face to face. And Moses would leave and Joshua would just linger a little longer. He couldn't get enough of the presence of God. And so in this, in this passage, you see this tent of meeting that's outside the camp. And, and anyone could inquire of the Lord what, what, what they would need of the Lord and, and go to him. But, but Moses went and there was this pillar of cloud that descended. So the people inquired, but Moses encountered God. What a huge difference that was. So the Lord would speak to Moses face to face, this intimate conversation. It was two way back and forth with Moses and God. And, and we wonder, what does that look like? And what would that look like for me? And, 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 and as I read that, I go, Lord, what about my prayer life? I couldn't describe it as this encounter with you where, where we're speaking face to face. And, and it's, it's this just obvious presence of God that's there many times that's not it at all many times I rush in I tell you what I want what I need what I need you to take care of what I'm worried about and then I rush out without even realizing and acknowledging that I've been in the presence of God the sad thing in this account is the people who could have probably had that same experience with God they were satisfied to stand at the tent, at the door of their own tent, and just watch from a distance. Yo, Mo, go, go find out and come back and tell us what God says. They were happy to let someone else do the work and just come back and report on it. In fact, when Moses came back filled with the glory, what was their response? Put the veil on Moses. You, Dude, we we can't handle this God stuff that's all over you. And I'm afraid in the church today, many times we are satisfied to let somebody else go into the presence of God. It's scary sometimes to go in the presence of God. It's very revealing. It's, 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 It's those moments where God can search us and see us and reveal ourselves to ourselves. And so we're satisfied sometimes like these guys were to stand at the door of their own tent and just worship from a distance. They 
would inquire, but they would not encounter God. So what does your prayer life look like? Where, where is the tent that you pitch to go to uninterrupted to be able to be in the presence of God and to hear from Him and to let Him speak to you and reveal Himself to, to, to you? You see, for the people, they went to a place. But Moses went to the presence. They saw the tent as a place I could go and ask God something instead of a place I could go and encounter God and experience God. Maybe you're thinking, I, I wish I could have been Moses. I wish I could have been there in that tent and, and experienced God face to face and, and, and seen and known God the way that, that Moses saw and, and knew God. But the Bible says that you and I have been given that same access to God. That when Jesus died on the cross, that veil that separated God from man was ripped in two from the top to the bottom. That God pulled back the curtain and says, come into my presence. We're told all the way through the New Testament that now we can come with confidence, with boldness, not with arrogance, but, but with confidence that we are wanted there in the presence of God. That Jesus has made a way for us to come into the presence of God. We've been given that same access to the presence of God that Jesus made available to us, and yet we stand at a distance. And we worship God from a distance when we could be right there in the tent the way Joshua was in the tent, experiencing the presence of God. We settle for far too less, far too little. We're content letting others go and just watching from a distance. Sometimes we inquire of God, but we seldom encounter God. And here's the difference. Most of the time when I inquire of God, that is very, very self centered god here's what i want here's what i need here's what i would like here's what you can do for me god and it's very self-centered but an encounter versus the inquiry the encounter is always god centered think about isaiah in isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah goes in the temple, the, 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 the glory of the Lord's train fills the temple. And, and the first thing Isaiah can say is, oh my gosh, I'm a sinful man in the presence of a holy God. He, he comes into the presence of God and he's, he, he's, he's not first of all aware of himself, he's aware of the, the presence of God. And, and in the midst of understanding the presence of God and the glory of God and, and all the goodness of God, Isaiah goes, oh my goodness, I'm not. He is and I'm not. It's very God-centered when we get into the presence of God. An encounter is God-centered, not man-centered, not self-centered. And, and so maybe you're thinking, well, I, 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 if I go in the presence of God, I, I don't even know what I would say to God. And maybe that's what keeps you outside the presence of God as you go, I, I don't know what to say. Can I make a suggestion? Say nothing. Just listen. Just listen, because until God reveals, I have nothing to say. Until God reveals himself in prayer, there's really no response that's even needed. Until God reveals, and, and the glory of God fills that place where I'm meeting with God, until God shows up, there's really no reason for me to even speak. But when God shows up, nobody has to coach me <laughs> with what to say. When God shows up, it all of a sudden becomes all about Him. And those things that I was going to bring to God just seem to pale in comparison. 
Now, that doesn't mean that we never bring our requests before God. But when I stand in the midst of a holy God and and an awesome God and this, this incredible God who can do anything with one word, when I stand in the presence of that kind of a God, all of a sudden I go, wow, this thing that was a mountain in my life is, is it's nothing anymore. God, this thing that I thought was, was unresolvable now is something that you can just fix with a word if you choose to. And if you don't, God, at least I, I know that you're with me and I'm going to make it through this. So it's, it's coming into the presence of God and that changes it from being an inquiry to an encounter and from being self-centered to God-centered. And, and all that begins to change when God shows up. So maybe if we don't know what to say, maybe we should just go and be still. And know that he is God. Maybe we should just go into his presence and just listen for a little while. Scripture says be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And maybe that should be our motto in prayer. That we don't go there to talk. We go there to listen. And as we hear God's heart, our response to God will flow naturally. Let me encourage you. Don't settle just for the inquiry. God, what do you think? God, what can you give? God, what can you do? Don't just go for the inquiry. Go and say, God, show me you. This one thing has transformed my prayer life more radically than anything else I've ever done in the the 40 years that I've been a believer. Just show up and say, God, would you just give me a glimpse of you today? Would you just let me see you, Lord? I I, I don't want to ask anything of you. I just want you. I come not seeking your gift. I come seeking the giver. I come not to seek a, a blessing, but the one who blesses. I just want you. Go seeking to encounter him, to hear what's on his heart. And then from that encounter will flow this response that changes everything in our world. You see, God had said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to send you, I'm going to give you the land, verses 1 through 3. I'll give you the land, but I'm not going to go with you. And this is what God says. You know, it sounds kind of harsh when you, when you first read it, but I want you to hear God's heart in this. Look in chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, leave this place, you and the people that you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land that I promised you on oath to, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give you your descendants this land. I will send an angel before you. I'll drive out all the people. Verse 3, and and you go to the land flowing with milk and honey. So here's the promise. I'm giving you a land of milk and honey. I promise you that. Take the people, get up from here, and you all go. I'll drive out your enemies, and I'll give you the land. But look at the second half of verse 3. But I will not go with you, because you are a stiff-necked people, and I might destroy you on the way. Why wasn't God going with them? Was it to punish them? No, it was to keep from destroying them. God says, I'm not going to go with you because if I go, I might destroy you along the way. You are so stiff-necked and you are so rebellious and you are so hard-hearted that if I, if I go another day with you, I might just wipe you out and destroy you. So out of my goodness and out of my grace and out of my mercy, I'm going to give you what I promised you. But I'm going to keep my distance. And, and I'm not going to go with you. And here's God and Moses talking. And here's what God says, Moses, this is what I plan to do. And then Moses comes back to wrestle with God. Not in an irreverent way, but in a most holy and reverent way. He's in the tent now, and in verse 12, it says, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me to lead these people, but you've not let me know whom you're going to send with me. This job is bigger than me, God, and I, 
I, I don't know how to do this by myself. You said, I, I know you by name, Moses. And Moses, you found favor with me. Well, God, if you're pleased with me, give me riches. Give me glory. Give me fame. Is that what he asked for? God, if you're pleased with me, then, then, then let's line my pockets. Let's make me rich. Let's make me secure. God, let's give me power, position, authority. Let, God, give me more stuff. Not at all. If you're pleased with me, Lord, teach me your ways so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. I just want more of you, God. Here's the worship. Here, here's the worship. We said prayer is, is, is worship and it's wrestling. Here's the worship. Lord, I just want more of you. I'm here, God, not to, not to try to change your mind, but I'm here to just say I want more of you. Teach me your way so that I can continue to find favor with you. Remember, this is this nation. It's, it's your people. You've called them. Now, does God need a reminder? Who, who needed the reminder here? Moses did. So sometimes in our prayer, we're praying and we're saying, now, Lord, remember this. And really what we're saying is, I need to remember this. I, I need to be assured of this. I need to, to remember who's in control. I remember who people this are. You see, as, as leaders, sometimes we, we think it's all up to us. Moses just said, Lord, I can't do it by myself. He's reminding himself, I don't have to do it by myself because these are God's people. And then the Lord replied to Moses, my presence will go with you. Lord, you've not let me know whom you're going to send with me. Verse 12. And God says, hey, Mo, you got me. I'm going to go with you. That's all you need. I'm going to go with you. And I will give you rest. Here's the encounter, guys. God, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to lead these people. Maybe their failure is my fault. Maybe it's something that, that I'm not doing right. But Lord, I can't do this on my own. Who's going to help me to do this? And God says, Moses, I'm going to go with you. Because you can't do it on your own. And y'all, in this moment, I guess you've got to catch this. In this moment, this like this light goes on in Moses' mind. Because that's what happens in the encounters. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to stuff that we hadn't even thought about yet. And, and all of a sudden, this light goes on in Moses' mind. And, and, and something happens here in verse 15. Moses says to God, oh my goodness, Lord, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't even send us up from here. All of a sudden, it's starting to hit Moses what God just said. I'm going to send you, but I'm not going to go. And then Moses says, Lord, who's going to go with me? He missed what God was saying up front. And now it's hit him because God says, okay, I'm going to go. Oh, my goodness, if you don't go. Look at this. If you don't go, if your presence doesn't go with us, then don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? And look at this. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? What did Moses just say? He's saying, Lord, that land without you is just dirt. That, that milk and that honey is just food. The promised land without the promised giver is empty. So, Lord, if you don't go, we don't want to go. 
And, and, and Lord, the truth is that your presence is the only thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world. It's the only thing that makes us different than those people you're going to drive out of that land. It's your presence with us. Why do we settle? Let me, let me just back up. How many of us would say, God, I'd be happy with your blessings even if I don't have you? Now, we wouldn't be so brazen as to just raise our hand and say, yeah, just give me the blessing. I don't need God. But that's how we pray. How much time do you spend in prayer saying, God, I want more of you? Versus how much do you say, God, I want more of your stuff? That'll give you a good idea whether you'd be satisfied with the stuff versus the Savior. How much do we spend time praying for stuff instead of for the Savior? And Moses, the light comes on and Moses goes, God, if we don't have you, it's dirt. If we don't have you, it's an empty promise. If we don't have you, it's, it's, it means nothing. It's the only thing that distinguishes us from the rest of the world. We've got to have you. And God says, Moses, I told you, you got me. I'll go with you. I'll go with you. I, I, verse 17, I will do the very thing that you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses presses on through a little bit farther. I love this about Moses. God says, hey, Moses, I'm going to go with you. You're going to have my presence and, 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 and I know you by name. I know you inside and out, Moses. And Moses says, God, that's the way I want to know you too. So Moses, in the midst of this wrestling, says, God, would you show me your glory? God, would you show me more of you than I've ever seen before? And that's when God says, Moses, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm going to put my hand over your face and I'm going to pass by. And, and as I get by you, I'm going to remove my hand and let you see the backside of me, Moses. Well, you see part of me. See more of me than you've ever seen before, Moses. That's the wrestling, and that's the way they do it. And it's this encounter that takes place in prayer. And, and, and you and I go, man, I wish, I wish, I wish I could have been Moses. I could have been there on that, on that, in that tent, and I could have seen God do these things. And, and, and the truth is that, that God was the one that was going to distinguish him, that God was the one that was going to show up, that God was going to want to, to give Moses more of his glory. But guys, those same things are true for you and I. The thing that's going to distinguish you from those around you is the presence of God. It's these encounters with God where God shows up and God reveals himself and you see more of God than you've ever seen before. That changes you. It changes how you approach God. We, we flippantly come into the presence of God and we forget how holy he is and how worthy he is. And we say, man. So Moses says, show me your glory. I'm going to go beyond the inquiry. I want to see the glory. And God is more than willing to do that for Moses. So how do we encounter God in prayer like that? How do we see more and more of the glory of God when we pray and when we get alone with God? Hebrews chapter 1 tells us exactly how that takes place. You got your Bibles, look at Hebrews chapter 1. It talks about how God reveals himself to us, how he shows us his glory in its fullest form. It says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers 
those who've come before us. God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. At many times and in various ways, God spoke. But in these last days, and in our day, guys, he, he has spoken to us by who? By his son. You want to see the glory of God? You find it in Jesus. You, you want to experience God in all of his fullness? You do that in Christ. In, in days past, it was, it was through the prophets and many times in many ways. But, but in these days, today, he speaks to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the exact radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. What's he saying? You want to see God? You got to find Jesus. You want to see God? You got to encounter Jesus. How in the world do we encounter Jesus today? Is, is it just getting alone and, and sitting with your legs Indian style and, and, and doing your fingers a certain way and, and looking deep within yourself? Is that how you encounter Jesus today? No. How do we encounter Jesus today, God? Somebody tell me. You open up the Word of God. We open up the Word of God and we see from cover to cover the picture of Jesus. We see the Old Testament pointing forward to Jesus. We see the Old Testament giving us the life of Jesus and then looking back on Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is the central figure of Scripture. So when I open up the Old Testament, I go looking for Jesus. Why? Because when I find Jesus, I find God. When I see the Old Testament pointing forward to Jesus, I go... There is a picture of God working in the Old Testament to reveal to us the Messiah that was going to be our Savior. In the days gone by, he spoke to us in a lot of different ways, but now he speaks to us through his son, Jesus. He speaks to us. There's no greater, no fuller, no more accurate representation of the nature and the character and the heart of God than Jesus Christ. Jesus is the radiance of God's being. The radiance of his glory, the representation, exact representation of his being. So as we search through scripture, we search for him. Let me, let me tell you what will radically change your prayer life. Is not to just pray, but take your Bible and open your Bible and say, God, show me you. And let my prayer be a response to what I see in scripture. Let me see you. When I read in the Old Testament, let me see Jesus. And then let my prayer be a response to what you just revealed to me. Let my prayer be a response to what you've just shown me of yourself. And that may mean that my response is, it, it, is awe and trembling. It may be that my response is, is, is that I see and, and my faith is weak and I go, God, I need you to strengthen my faith. It, when, we, when we come into the presence of God and we encounter God, then all of a sudden we see something that we've never seen before. The disciples who are living with Jesus... They're walking with Jesus. And, and Jesus has just got through in John chapter 14, that great passage where he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And he's had this great thing about this, this home that he's preparing for them in heaven and all these kind of things that God has in store for them. And then Philip looks at him. And, and, and in, in John chapter 14, it, it says in verse 8 that Philip said, Lord, just show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. Let us experience God. Let us see God. Let us, just show us, give us a glimpse of God's glory. And that'll be enough. And Jesus answered him. 
don't you know me, Philip? Even after I've been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has what? Seen the Father. You want to see the glory of God? You got to look at Jesus. Philip says, Lord, just show us God and we'll be happy. I mean, you're God's son, but we want to see God. And Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've got to find Jesus in Scripture. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Listen, these words that I say to you are not just my own words, Jesus says. But rather, it's the Father living in me who's doing his work. When I speak, these are not just my words, Jesus says. These are the Father's words. When I act, it's the Father's action. When I do, it's because the Father's told me to do. You want to see God, look at me. Now, that would be a crazy statement for any one of us to make, wouldn't it? You want to know what God looks like? Look at Rob. Wow, that's blasphemy. But it wasn't for Jesus. Because as the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus was the exact representation of God. The radiance of God's glory. He created, he sustains. This this will change your prayer life. Instead of just taking your list before God and calling that prayer, take the word of God and open it up and say, God, show me you. I was telling Dalton this week as we met, and I've told Andrew this many times. For most of my ministry, I've gone to the Word of God and said, God, show me the do's and show me the don'ts. Shannon, we talked about that this week. Tell me what to do and tell me what not to do, and that'll be enough, God. This one thing's changed my whole prayer life. It's changed my whole Bible study. It's changing who I am. I go to Scripture now and say, God, I'm not coming to find the do's and the don'ts. Those are going to be obvious. I just want to find you. When I open up the Word of God, I just want to see your character, your holiness, your, every facet of you that, that you can show me, I want to see. And now I read Scripture looking for God, looking for Jesus. Out of that comes everything else. When I see God and his holiness, I look at myself and I go, oh God, I am so unholy. When I see God and his love and his compassion, I go, God, I wasn't loving and I wasn't compassionate to that person. When I see that God was long-suffering, I go, yeah, God, I'm short-suffering. When I see God, I see myself. And I go, that's, that's not there. You want to change your prayer life, stop just throwing a request before God and come and worship him. But, but, but the only way you're going to worship him accurately is to open up your Bible when you come for prayer. And you begin to read and pray Scripture. You begin to read and pray God's word as, you, as you, you, you do this together. Jesus says, look, if you want to see the Father, look at me. Don't, don't come just to inquire, but come to encounter God. Don't come looking for an answer. Come looking for the one who gives answers. And when you find him, you'll have your answer. 
Don't come just looking for God's will. Come looking for God. And you will find his will. You say, why, why, how can the word of God do that? Again, back in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, it says, For the word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges my thoughts and my attitudes of the heart. Nothing in, in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. Maybe that's why I don't like opening it up. Maybe that's why I don't delight in it more because it exposes me, my heart, my motives, my thoughts, my attitudes. You see, the Word of God cuts deep in us because that's what you've got to do if you're going to cut out cancer. You've you got to cut deep. And you've got to take it all. And that's what the Bible does to sin in our lives, guys, is it's living and it's active. That's why when you read the Bible today and you go back a month from now and read that same passage, it's going to say something different to you then than it did today. Why? Because you're at a different place in life and the Word of God is living and active and it cuts right where you are. And so the Word of God comes. So when I pray, I better have the Word of God in my hand. I better be looking at the Word of God. I better be meditating on the Word of God, thinking through the Word of God, because that's going to guide my thoughts. It's going to inform who God is. It's going to help me to know how to approach Him, what to ask of Him, what His heart is, what His will is. It's going to answer those questions. When I encounter God, it's going to, it's going to change who I am. And so this, 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 this Word of God is God's side of the conversation. How many times do we say, well, I... I bowed my heart and I prayed and this is what I felt. To wake up a month later and say, yeah, I was wrong. I was wrong about that. I must have felt wrong. Maybe it was those enchiladas I had the night before. How many times have you prayed and, and, and felt and just trusted your gut to find out later that you were, you were wrong? We all do that. But when I'm praying the word of God, I'm praying as a response to what God's revealing in his word and I'm laying it before the Lord. I'm letting God cut me open and show me the intent and the, and the, and the attitude and the motives of my heart. And all of a sudden I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, I'm seeking things more than I'm seeking God. I'm making an idol out of this instead of making God the supreme in my life. When we get God, we get honesty, we get truth, we, we, we get him to hold up a mirror that we can see clearly of ourselves. And so when we go before the Lord, we, 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 we see that, that God's side of the conversation is the word of God that he's given to us to reveal himself. Listen, the, the purpose of God's word is not just to give you rules to obey. You know why? Because you can't obey them. It's to show you God who comes alongside of you the way he said he would come alongside of Moses. How am I going to do this, God? God says, I will go with you. It's God revealing his glory. God revealing himself. God giving us another glimpse of who he is. When we encounter God, we, we, we search for him in his word and we find him. Prayer is God speaking through his word and then me responding to that revelation. It's God saying, this is who I am. 
And it's me saying, oh my goodness, that's what I want to be. It's God saying, this is how I respond to me saying, Lord, I'm, I'm still way away from that. I need you to change me. It, it changes my prayers from being self-centered to being God-centered. Because without God's word, I'm not responding to God. I'm just rambling about me. If you want to transform your prayers into encounters with God, then you've got to start praying the word of God. What does that mean? And how do I do that? I want to show you as we close today what that looks like and, and how we can go about doing that because when we come to Scripture looking for the heart of God, seeking Him before we even speak in His presence, then as God reveals His heart, I respond, sometimes in worship, sometimes in fear and in awe, Sometimes it's in repentance that I've missed the mark, that I've not been who I'm supposed to be, that I don't reflect him better to my world around me. I respond in obedience saying, Lord, that's the desire of my heart. That's what I want more than anything. And sometimes I respond in faith. But you see, guys, my response in prayer is dictated by his revelation. We think that it's the other way around. That my revelation to God dictates his response. Oh God, listen. Have your attention. I got a need. Here's my need. And God has to respond. Prayer is the opposite. God reveals this is who I am. And you go, oh, I'm so glad to hear that because I've got this need that fits you perfect, God. I've got this need that Oh, my goodness. You're my shepherd? Oh. I'll not be in want? Thank you, Lord, because I've been worried about that one. It changes everything. When we let him speak first, and we are in the word of God allowing him to speak to us, the response is natural. The response is God-centered. The response is God-honoring. Without revelation, prayer becomes all about me. This week when I met with Dalton, I was sharing with him some of the things I wanted to share with you guys today. So he gets to hear it twice because he's kind of slow. And it takes an extra part for Dalton to get it. Dalton said this. He says, did you ever go to that website I told you about? David Platt, where he says, pray the word. And I said, you never told me about that. He says, yes, I did. And so we argued for 20, 30 minutes about that. And I wrote it down. Pray the word, David Platt. And what is that? It's David Platt doing a five-minute podcast every day for his people where he takes scripture and prays that and teaches them how to pray the word of God. I spent half the day yesterday just podcast after podcast after podcast listening to David Platt Teach me how to pray the word. Let me look this up. Write this name down. David Platt. Pray, praying the word. Google that. Go to podcasts and find it. Every single day he puts out a new one where he just takes a, one scripture and says, this is how you pray the word of God. Why? Because that's the prayer that's honoring to God. 
it, it's five minutes. If you, if you work in town, you make a five-minute drive out to work, right? Why not put that on your phone and listen to it as you go to work? Just learn how to pray the Word of God. Learn how to, to do that. This, this is a, an incredible thing. And, and i got to say this. Listen, if I were not in community with Dalton, that resource would have never hit my radar. We say this a lot. You know why we need community? Because there's believers that God is going to speak to us. It's iron sharpening iron. And, and that's what happened this week. As Dalton says, Rob, I told you about this before. And it never hit my radar. He reminded me of it again this week. And that has been a blessing to me already. We need each other, guys. That's why we do community groups. That's why we, we have gospel communities. Because I need brothers and sisters who are walking with God, discovering things that I haven't yet discovered, who can say, hey, i got something that will help you with this. I've got, I got something that will help our church, Rob. Tell them to go to this and look at it. That's why we need each other, guys, because none of us are there yet. We have all are still a work in progress. So here's what I want to do. I want you to open your Bibles to Psalm chapter 1. And I want us to close today in a little bit different way than we normally would. I want us to close today by praying this psalm. We talk about praying the word of God. Let's, let, me, let me illustrate for you how we can do that. And this is not that you should pray my words, that you should do it the way that Rob does it. But it's an example of how we come to the word of God and God reveals to us. And in that revelation, we simply respond to God. So what I've done is I've tried to pray through the, the, the Psalm 1. And I've jotted down some things that, that God put on my heart as I was praying through the Psalm that I'm going to pray with you today and give you an idea of, of how that we might would pray through this Psalm. So let me read it to you so it's fresh on your mind. Then we're going to bow our hearts together. And, and I just want to kind of walk you through what God took me through as I prayed this Psalm. Here's the Psalm. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree that's planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. Not so with the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. How would you pray that prayer? Let's bow together and let me share with you kind of how God led me to pray that. And I want you to understand that, that I'm just learning this. And so I do not put myself up as a model. But let's walk through this in our minds, how we would pray this back to God. So would you just join me in prayer? Let me... Pray this psalm back to God as if it was just kind of me and God in the room together. God, you start this psalm by saying blessed. And I have to admit that, that I am blessed. That God, there's still more blessings out there that I've yet to encounter. More things that, that you want to show me, God, about yourself that I've never ever seen before. But Lord, you, you tell me that that you've blessed me. And I know that's not because of my works, but it's because of the work of Jesus. So I thank you, first of all, for those blessings. But Lord, you, you tell me that, that, um, that our greatest blessing is you. 
not the stuff that you give us, but it's you and you alone. So, Lord, help me to count you as my greatest blessing. Help me to look at you, Lord, as the one that I desire more than any other. God, you say, blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. God, what you're showing me there is that I'm not going to find blessedness by listening to the opinions of man, by seeking to be pleasing to man, by, by walking according to their wisdom and their counsel. I'm not going to encounter you in the midst of wickedness. But instead, God, I need, like Moses did, to pitch my tent outside the camp. I need to be one who removes myself from wickedness, who allows you to rescue me from my own sinfulness. Teach me, God, to seek your counsel and not man's counsel, your ways and not man's ways, to realize, God, that there is a huge distinction between what man says is right and what God says is right. Set my heart on you because, Lord, I cannot be blessed living according to the counsel of men. God, you say next that, that we shouldn't stand in the way of sinners. We can't be blessed as we stand in the way of sinners. And God, that doesn't mean that I don't associate with sinners, that I don't reach out to sinners. But Lord, I don't stand with them and I don't celebrate with them their sin. Lord, that I don't walk in sin, that I don't live a sinful life, that I don't follow my flesh, but I follow you. I can't enjoy you, God, while I'm enjoying my sin. So God, I turn from my sin. And I turn from those, God, who are celebrating sin, realizing that love does not rejoice in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Teach me, God, to choose you over my sin. God, teach me to walk in your ways according to your word. Help me to hide your word in my heart that I don't sin against God, but that I live a life that's pleasing to him. God, you tell me that I can't be blessed when I'm sitting in the seat of mockers. And so God, I know that I'm not going to encounter you if I'm sitting in judgment on your ways. If I think that you owe me, if I think that you ought to, if I think that my ways are smarter than your ways, if I think that my plan is grander than yours, if I am mocking you, God, and saying that, that I know better than you know, God, then I'm not going to be blessed by you. Lord, if that pride is in my life, thinking that I know best, thinking that, that I know what is the perfect plan instead of trusting that you have already designed and ordained that plan. God, make me humble, teachable, trusting before you. Drive, drive that prideful spirit that would cause me to doubt your goodness and your mercy and your love. Your wisdom, drive that far away and bring me before you as a beloved child who trusts you completely. Lord, you say that instead of choosing myself and my sin, that the blessed man is the one that delights in the law of the Lord, and on your law you meditate day and night. Lord, I've got to confess that my heart is delighted in things other than you. That I've sought things more than I have sought you. That I've cherished things and desired things more than I have desired you. Lord, I pray you give me more of a delight in you, more of a delight for your word. Lord, your word will reveal you and your heart and your character and the redemption that you've given to us. And 
And Lord, I've delighted myself in lesser things. I've settled for less when my soul has starved for you. I want you on my heart day and night. I want to think about you at every turn. I want to consult you, God, for every decision. I want to bring my life in line with your truth. Seeking your will, Lord, in every situation. Setting aside my plans and my will for your plans and your will. I want to be like a mighty tree that's planted by the streams of water. And Lord, I I picture this tree that's put down deep roots, unshakable. Roots that reach out for that living water. And Lord, you tell me that you are the living water. And so I want my, my whole being to reach out to you to dig down deep in you, to to, to put my roots in you, Lord, so that I am am nourished and so that I am there and my my leaf does not wither when trials come, when the heat is applied. God, I stand there in your presence. I anchor myself firm and strong in you. God, that you say when I do that you'll produce fruit in me in season. Fruit, God, that reflects you and displays your glory for all the world to see. Not that they see me, but they see you in me. Lord, that the fruit of the Spirit would be evident to those who run into me and who encounter me. That your Spirit would be prevalent. God, my leaf wouldn't wither when things get tough. That I would prosper, Lord, not by the world's measure, but by your measures. And I would do so because you've poured out your blessings. Because you've given me yourself. I produce plenty, enough for myself and enough for others, Lord. And though I deserve death, you give life. Though I live in a place that could be barren, God, you have placed me beside the stream. You've provided everything that I need to grow and to be godly. And yet, Lord, we're reminded that it's not that way for the wicked. That they invest themselves in things that will be blown away like the chaff is blown from the kernels of wheat. That everything this world strives for, God, one day will be destroyed. One day will come to nothing. And everything they're living for will leave them empty and hopeless and without you. And they will stand in judgment. God, I don't say that with pride. I don't say that with with haughtiness. I say that with brokenness, God, that there's people around me that are dying every day and I have not reached out to them. I have not been fruitful. I have not let you display your glory in me in such a way that it would attract them to Christ. God, there's people around us today that are dying and they think that they have it all together. They think that they have reached the pinnacle that this world has to offer. And God, in so many ways, they've, they've reached the top. They've got everything the world offers, but they have nothing that you offer. And God, that should break my heart. It should change how I live. You give me what the world will never experience apart from you. Your presence and your peace. Your promises. You give me yourself. And those that don't have you will be blown away. They will suffer ultimate loss for all of eternity. What they have will not last. 
It will not satisfy. And it will not give them entrance into your kingdom. With one breath, Lord, it's all gone. And Lord, what they have are things that I've longed for all of my life when I should have been longing for you. Please forgive me for that. For not making you the crown jewel of my life. For investing myself in stuff that will not last instead of those things that will last forever. God, you say that they won't be able to stand in judgment. Break our hearts for the lostness around us. For those, Lord, don't let us look at them and say that they deserve what they get. Lord, I deserve what they are getting. But your grace has changed all of that for me. And let me take your grace to them. Let, let your grace so change my heart that I feel that compassion for them as one beggar telling another beggar where I found bread. God, I pray you would break our heart for the lostness of our world. They are lost and they are in danger of eternal judgment. I pray that you have mercy upon them. I pray that you send us to them. I pray that you raise up people in our church, God, who would take the gospel to their neighbor, to their co-worker, to their family, to their children. God, open their eyes to the truth. Turn their hearts from the worthless things. Display your worth and your glory. And show them, God, how they can stand by your grace. Please, God, don't let them perish without you. Thank you, God, for watching over us. The promise that you watch over the righteous. God, don't let us forget about all those who still don't know. God, I thank you for your blessings. Not one of them is deserved. But in your goodness, God, continue to reach out, continue to draw men and women to you. God, use us, use us to take the gospel to the lost world. Because without you, God, they are perishing and they are not blessed. And they need you, God, just like we need you. We ask for your help and for your strength. Because this is something we cannot do on our own. Be on our hearts and be on our lips. Be on our minds throughout our day. Changing who we are and what we live for. In Jesus' name I pray.